Welcome to Cherry's Tem 29. <laughs> and uh, we are uh, your hosts, uh, uh, Cherry and Richard Raw. And we will be talking about science news. Uh, so we've had a bit of a rebranding, <laughs> a little bit of a change of direction, if you will. Um, everything is essentially still the same. We're still going to just nerd out about science that we like. But uh, this time is going to feature a little bit more of a recent event, recent news um, and science sort of spin to it. Um, so that way we can um, keep up with the latest happenings uh, as well as, um, you know, inform you guys about it. So um, I would uh, like to uh, show you guys um, something that isn't working for me right now. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Let me show you how this doesn't work. Yeah. Um, isn't that entertaining? Isn't that great? Uh, so I have here, um, for your viewing pleasure, the... Um, aha, that's what happened. There we go. My bad. All right. Um, so uh, this podcast, uh, this live show, uh, this everything, is sponsored by uh, viewers such as yourself. So I would recommend um, you guys to check out patreon.com slash Cherry. Uh, that is where you can support this specific podcast live stream right here and help us make more of them as well as get uh, awesome goodies uh, in, in return. Uh, so check out uh, Patreon. I would recommend the uh, the tier you see highlighted here before you, the, the challenger tier. Um, I would highly recommend that one um, for you all uh, beginner supporters. Uh, check it out. Uh, follow us uh, on there because we upload the cherry stems on there as well. You can download the audio files. Uh, you can get the RSS link if you are a patron. Um, the audio files are available publicly so you guys get this awesome bot podcast both as a video and as an audio file through Patreon. That's where the magic happens. Become a patron, share in the magic. It's great. Um, so yeah, that's my show for the day. And let's get into the news. Cool, so is, is that my cue to, to try to bring some things up here? Let's do it. All right. Um, 
Well, apparently uh, SpaceX is Starman, and it's a Tesla Roadster. Now, Beyond Mars is about at the, uh, what was it, Aphelion? I, I, they don't specifically say there. That's just the term for uh, its uh, furthest uh, point out from its orbit, which it, it is orbiting around the sun. So it's just one of the things it's going to be doing is orbiting out past Mars and then kind of catching up with uh, the uh, inside of the Earth's orbit. So that's a neat little thing that's that's going to be out there doing. Um, so that's the the roadster is essentially a, a brand of his car. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so apparently they just launched it was, it. he he was actually uh, driving the car beforehand. So it was it was his car that he launched. So uh, he launched his car into space. Yeah, because like normally what they do is that's they put awesome. like a, they put a dummy load on there. Oh. Because uh, uh, you know. So it's gotten uh, frisky quickly. Yeah. <laughs> no, I thought it's it's literally there's a dummy driving the car. Uh, well, where's so, the load coming from? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but That's they put that on the, on the uh, on the, you know rockets to right. test, like, and because they didn't want to put anything more expensive. Why <clears> did <throat> they need to have a dummy? Load? Uh, it was just to test the, a uh, a new type of rocket that's you know inexpensive but can quit put big loads into space, <laughs> launch <laughs> huge loads into space. So an inexpensive rocket to launch loads. Right, exactly. Cool. And so that was the it was a uh, proof of concept basically. Mm. So they launched that out there, and that's neat. Uh, one so, of the things, so his car is uh, floating in space now. So there. we're throwing our trash in space now, is what you're trying to say. <laughs> and apparently, oh, wait a minute. No, some of the things, it's going to be there for a very long time. What was it? There, the, the, uh, there is a 6% chance of it hitting the Earth in the next 1 million years, and a 2.5% chance of it smacking into Venus uh, during that period. Too. Thanks, so. Elon. <laughs> So there is a possibility it could end up, uh, but no, it's a, it's a, in a very, very long, perpetual, th theoretically perpetual orbit. Uh, so that's, that's a neat thing. Um, what was one of these other uh, neat things that I ran into? Oh, yeah. Uh, Umau Mau? I don't know how to pronounce it. Oh, Muamua. I don't know. You got to like do the hula as you say. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> The Okay, so there was this... Um, this object that, so that uh, could you I've meant to I'm so sorry about this <laughs> <laughs> I meant to ask you about this beforehand but I forgot um, some links if you'd like to send them to me I can actually feature them on the screen so if there's anything in particular like the weird pronunciation or anything else uh, visual aid that you want to have available on display let me know send it to me okay well so here's the thing there, uh, our first interstellar, like we know for sure, it's an interstellar object. It was this thing, this long, thin, is, is what we presumed it was. You can't really see it per se as much as you can detect oh. light coming off of it and do some interference. And it's it's, yeah, it's, it's this huge, uh, long, thin, strangely shaped object coming from interstellar space, how entering many, our our solar system. How many loads can it deliver? <laughs> A lot of loads. Uh, and so at first they're like, okay, it's just an asteroid from another star system. Then they're like, well, no, it's got to be a comet because it's accelerating. It's uh, it's doing this thing that you know uh, it, it shouldn't. It's it's changing its you know um, trajectory in a way that uh, is like you know th that doesn't make sense basically. And uh, and so they said, so it must be a comet. Then, however, as it got closer and closer to the sun, they realized it cannot be a comet. There was no outgassing. 
And so that left us with a very interesting mystery because it was accelerating and was not a uh, not accelerating by the use of outgassing of uh, you know the basically what happens with a comet is uh, is as the sun melts uh, the water and you know you have water vapor and things like that being shot out into space then you know it can it can end up slowing down some because of the uh, the, the gases that are that are being given off by the comet which gives it its tail and all of that and so that makes sense why a comet would behave in the way that it, uh, it, sh it should uh, but this was doing that sort of acceleration thing and not only that after it left the sun it should have based upon the way that the orbit worked it should have slowed down but instead it sped up so first off, the way it was approaching the sun, there was acceleration that didn't make sense. And then when it left the sun, there was acceleration that really didn't make sense. Uh, and so, so there's, uh, you know, there like, you know, real scientists out there saying, well, maybe this is uh, an ancient uh, light sail that uh, was sent from another, um, you know, some other advanced species in, uh, in another, you know, part of the, our galaxy. So there's... A light sail is it's basically what hap what you do is you create something that can catch the pressure of light itself, the photons coming off, and uh, like if you've ever seen one of those little, uh, it looks like a little light bulb, but these little, um, uh, it's called a radiometer, I think, uh, with a, with these little, it's a, it, it looks like a little windmill inside of a. Uh, a light bulb. You yeah, I've seen, seen that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, basically, that's responding to the pressure of light. And so the, the idea is that a light sail is something that you could create. There's this huge, thin thing oh, I see. that you could have in space that would catch light. And that's one of the ways that they propose, you know, we can shoot a laser from the Earth into a light sail to uh, accelerate a spaceship, you know, into interstellar space at a very uh, high rate of speed, which is why they are su suggesting that perhaps this interstellar object is actually an alien artifact so because it's be, because the, there is no explanation uh, the, the common explanation of it being a comet or it being a um uh, an asteroid makes absolutely no sense based upon its behavior so uh, so that's really neat i found that so like, that happened yeah so that happened we may have, to, we may have there'll be no way to really know we're oh there's some plans to go try to catch it uh, we're <laughs> <here>. <laughs> we're gonna be dick that thing. Yeah, we're chase it down. Um, but yeah, there's some plans that there's there's the possibility that we could send something out to catch up to it and study it. Uh, wouldn't that be great if we sent cameras out there and it shot down our whatever? We Ooh. Down <laughs> wouldn't that be cool? Spooky. Oh man, that'd be awesome. Um, I think your definition of awesome and some other people's may be slightly <laughs> inconcurrent. <laughs> um. So, so yeah, so that's cool. Not that, that may, I'm one of those people. That I'm may be saying. our first discovery of an alien artifact. Um, that's neato. I, I find that to be good news. Uh, anyway, so there, then uh, one of the other things that was apparently in the news here was that uh, DARPA dropped, uh, I mean, it's a minuscule amount, the total budget so of DARPA. just yeah. real quick, DARPA is cool and terrifying and really cool and really terrifying oh, and God, really yes. cool. So what's DARPA? For the viewers uh, who may not the defense advanced research something something project and, uh, yeah I don't know they can look it up uh, DARPA is basically the science wing of the military uh, so they <laughs> research some really neat neat shit that is like science fiction but for the military so they only put 1.4 million it's such a pittance. 
Oh, uh, that's tiny. But, you said uh, million with an M. Yeah, only a million. Oh. But uh, on uh, the um, uh, the impossible drive, the EM drive, I don't know if anybody's uh, looked into that, but basically the EM drive was something that um, ended up being tested in labs in the U.S. and labs in uh, various places. And there was a lab in China, and these are all, you know, NASA tested it, and it was producing acceleration by a method that according to our physics it shouldn't now the thing is that should you know there's people who would be oh my god then it can't work if it doesn't work according to our current physics mm -hmm. and then there's people who realize that our physics is failing uh, in a number of places and there's it's you're having all of these different problems with our uh, our physics theories that where we're showing you know obvious uh, model crisis and one of them is called the uh, uh, vacuum energy catastrophe where you you can't say like millions or billions or anything like that. The number of how how bad off we are. You have to use scientific no notation to show the difference between what we actually detect and what we predict based upon our our, our current physics. So there's a variety of ways in which our physics is uh, is at model crisis and we need a revolution. But you know that's uh, actually coming up in the second part of the show. Um, relative relevant to what we talked about in cherry stone number 28 so if you're interested in quantum physics um multiverse uh, theory string theory things like that uh a pilot wave theory alternative explanations etc uh this is a little self-promotion here uh self-plug uh, go check out cherry stem uh, number 28 and that's available both on a youtube uh, live stream replay as well as patreon.com slash anna cherry where you can download the audio files and browse all our supplementary resources for each show uh, that we do. Uh, so check out the Cherry Stem hashtag on Patreon and back to DARPA and the and model crisis. Okay. <laughs> so they only, they only dropped 1.4 million onto it, uh, which is, I mean, for your average Joe, that's a lot of money. But for when it comes to military science, that's meh uh, in the way of total amount of money. But uh, yeah, it's still something. It's 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 1.4 million, but um, the uh, the thing is, it's uh, the the last I heard about the the news about it is they found that there was a bias that was sort of north and south. Now the thing is, uh, if there's a north south bias, then that's kind of it aligns with the uh, magnetic poles. Then that would to some people be, oh well, there it is. We finally found what we were looking for. It's just an error in the equipment or something like that. And um, the the issue I have with that is uh, is that it's not necessarily caused caused by the the effect of the magnetic field causing the acceleration that they're getting, but instead it is aligning to the magnetic field, and that is I think that's why it's still being funded and it's still people taking it quite seriously. Is that uh, it's simply the alignment with the magnetic field that can uh, change it and that of course makes perfect sense that it could it's in no way some sort of proof that it's that it's just some experimental setup at her um, so I mean that the, to, to get on to you know my uh, favorite topic let's talk about uh, I'm gonna jump aside here to to old physics and the, you know the, the basis of modern theory uh, and the place of places at which it may be wrong and that is in the original Michelson Morley experiment uh, Michelson and, Mor and Morley, they did their experiment over three days, the 1887 version of it. This is the, the, the experiment that is supposedly the, 
Uh, well, it, it is the impetus for special relativity because it came through. Lorentz is who um, uh, came up with the change factor to explain the Michelson-Morley, which was theoretically null. But so why am I bringing this up is because there was a um, there actually was a positive reading in the original Michelson-Morley experiment. Now what Michelson was expecting was an east-west wind, and so he only gave the reading for the east and west. And so what, what he was expecting of a, of a wind that we're mentioning is actually an, an ether wind, which is the uh, idea, especially if you watched our last show, Tristan 28, you will uh, be caught up on essentially what we're talking about, but uh, a quick primer for those who uh, are new or just tuning in is, um, essentially the fabric of reality the thing that light propagates and travels through etc uh, the light waves <laughs> what waves the light is ether is the sort of the the, the medium the um the, the, the higgs field the, yeah, the quantum foam the the whatever there's a, there's substance a million different ways in which substrate the, 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 the of our reality the properties of the quantum vacuum or uh, the variety of ways in which the they terms, put it yeah. uh it has properties in it, in it uh, and they were trying to detect it and yeah and, and even the idea that the ether uh isn't there is absurd in 1920 uh which is you know uh 15 years after special relativity and five after general relativity einstein said talked about that space without ether is unthinkable uh it was his specific quote it's ridiculous to think that that space does not have very specific properties and, and furthermore uh that there's he, he specifically called it ether and there's there's a lot to the history there that uh that i don't want to get too much into because um, I'm kind of losing the uh, the thread here of what mm -hmm. it is that we're trying to, uh, to get. Well, we're essentially talking, we're talking about Michael about the Morley and the fact that there was a reading. Right. So there was a, a, a uh, there was a reading. It was just smaller, much smaller than expected, and uh, and probably related to the fact that they, that it was done in open air and was done with white light. Uh, I won't get into how the how the only the only thing I really I want to get into here is that. The experiment that Michelson did was only replicated by Dayton Miller because nobody else used white light. Nobody else did it in an open air. They did it in a vacuum. Now, if Lorentz is correct, and I believe he is, about the way that the ether works, and this means that all we don't change the math, we just simply change what we believe that the math means, and that is um, that, there, that there is an ether there, then um, well, I'm kind of losing the... the, the the train of thought here. Uh, well, it all started with the essentially that there's a model crisis and it's related to, to, to the darker thing. And then we're talking about the EM drive and the speed in which it was going. Oh, through. no, okay. So, what I was just trying to explain is the, mm -hmm. uh, the, the Michelson, the non null. Right. Then, what would happen is there's something called uh, ether drag. So, that matter would actually drag the ether slightly. And so, you'd get an effect in one direction or another that would be an ether wind, but it wouldn't be a full ether wind. It would be an effect caused by the air having a uh, dragging the ether. But all that aside, I'm saying this because we're talking about a bias in the EM drive mm -hmm. that is north-south. What the original Michelson-Morley experiment detected was a wind of around 10 kilometers per second um, in a north-south direction. And then what Dayton Miller's tens of thousands of replications of that experiment also found was a, a, um, a north-south bias in the direction of the wind along the, the direction of, uh, towards the North Pole. So the, the non-null of the Michelson-Morley experiment and all of the replications of it that were also non-null um they all had a bias that was north and south like the bias of this um 
the EM drive. So the, the, the point is that if there, if Lorentz is right and we don't change the math at all, and we just accept what Einstein was saying, that constancy is not actually correct. There's a limit to that idea and it doesn't apply to general relativity. And there is a preferred frame, then it makes sense why it would be doing what it's doing. It, make, it, it makes sense in context of all of the history of physics. And, what... and of course, if we look at what actually like what space is propagated by or hmm. <laughs> what propagates space or you know like what what propagates i don't know if propagates is the right word no, use <laughs> the wrong word there uh but if just in other words i'm trying to get at a question i suppose is that if we consider the ether approach would we be able to travel um Using something like the EM right. drive, uh, absolutely. Because the, the point is that if there is a, if there is something there in, if space is something, uh, in other words, what is what is a rocket engine reacting off of when it, it emits energy in, you know, in space? What, you know, what, why, why are you capable of, a, like, you know, those one of the things when I, uh, when I was a kid, it's like, okay, I understand when you're pushing off the ground with your with your uh the stuff coming out of your rocket i understand when you're pushing off the air with something out coming out of your rocket but when there's nothing out in space you know what are you pushing against uh, you know there, that's it there's there's problems with that perspective but the point is that there is a um there there is something there fundamental so truth to... being able to understand that, that first off we're, you know what it is that is in free space if we um, you know, there is this a tremendous amount of energy in free space. This is also known as like the, the uh, there's something called the Casimir effect, zero point energy. All of these things are parts of science where we, are, we know that there is something about free space that we do not quite understand properly. And well, uh, what I'm saying that that is, is, you know, is ether, of course. Um, but that being said, the point is that, of course, we could use something like the EM drive to be able to uh you know go through space if you if if the ether itself which we must presume it does pass through matter to some extent or another as well as get dragged along by it um then you should be able to even though the em drive is something that is closed and theoretically shouldn't be able to um uh, react against anything it is actually reacting against the ether so, it's just a a perspective of why something that theoretically is possible actually is possible with a very small change to the way that we see um, our current physics. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a large change conceptually, but there's no change. In other words, the, the way in which you, you do any of the calculations doesn't change. The math doesn't have to change for you to use preferred frame physics, fluid mechanics, uh, and be able to understand what's going on from a different perspective. Uh, and of course, just, we'll get into more of that. Um, in the second part of the show where we talk about um, the recent news that got exploded across our timelines uh, a day after we did our live show, Sherry Stem, on um, pilot wave theory. So yeah. we'll, uh, we'll get into that. <laughs> okay. Uh, then let's see. Um, All right, back to the news. Back to the news. Some of the other, like, going to different different kind of science. The uh, was uh, some archaeology stuff here I thought was pretty funny that apparently they well uh, I remember a news story which I don't have in front of me right now where they they some one of the oldest uh, bathroom jokes was first found 
and now they found that there were well, these... What do you mean by a bathroom drain? In other words, it was like in a, in a, there was some scribbling on a wall in a oh. an ancient bathroom that huh. was found. Okay. Well, apparently, they that was a, a commonality to very, very ancient uh, civilizations. Like this one's from... Uh, 1800 years ago that there was a there were dirty jokes in the latrine mosaics uh, that they, the Romans have and apparently it was like they um, there, were, there were image jokes so let's see what was the there were two there were images of specific gods like in one case it was oh yeah it was uh, Narcissus staring at his own dick uh, and uh, was one picture and then another one is something that that's probably lost on us because it has to do with Ganymede um but you know it had to do with ganymede and boy lovers in roman times oh good so times. yeah <laughs> that those so, those, those so there, roman times so there was some joke you know having to do with sponging off a young a boy's uh dick or something i don't know so but that was that's the picture of the bathroom jokes so uh, that's very roman yeah yeah it's very roman so I, I thought that was uh something we you know needed to, to talk about there that's fantastic i love it <laughs> I love it. So that's some of the, we can feel our ancient, noble, <laughs> noble Roman ancient ancestors. <laughs> it, when we go jokes. to the bathroom stalls and see all the scribbling all yeah. around us, and we can like, feel yeah, in touch this. with our ancestors. Absolutely, man. If the Roman did it, good enough for us, right? Apparently went in Rome, <laughs> went in a bathroom stall. <laughs> oh, yeah, they apparently found, speaking of Rome, um, they apparently uh, recently found uh, evidence that uh, some Neanderthals have been exposed to lead. Uh, why, why does it have to do with Romans? Because people believe that the Romans might, the, uh, the fall of Rome may have been related to all the lead in the pipes, making everybody stupid. So the uh, idea is, uh, from what I recall, is that uh, Roman, the Romans, the Roman civilization, built civilization some of the firsts like uh, aqueducts which is a way to get water from one place to another like to power a city not power but uh, deliver water to a city from a lake or what have you um and they had roads and they had like forums of of, of governance and they had piping which is how the aqueduct system was well is that related or uh, i think the aqueducts are a little different oh, but... okay well either way they they're known as like peoples who did some of the firsts of the staples of civilization and infrastructure if i'm not mistaken well i mean so, uh, it um, was it was one of the advanced civilizations before that before rome the the you know the more well, there's also mass scale and at which they did it yeah it was uh, a very large civilization right, right so so what it was contemporary with like egypt was in decline by the time of the roman empire if i, if I remember correctly so what would happen, from what I understand, is that um, Romans uh, built a bunch of pipes to carry water or what have you um, around uh, their cities, and the pipes were made of lead, and they brain deaded themselves. Yep. <laughs> kind of like we did with the with leaded gas. Oh, you mean uh, like we did with Flint, Michigan? I mean no. <laughs> the next one. Oh, the Michigan water. Uh, let's see what other. Uh, but no, that's that. That is actually um, it's not recent news. But it is science news that um, I don't remember what year it happened in, but um, some time ago, humans theoretically uh, did a bunch of activity in the um, sort of the colonial, I think, period where there was a lot of exploration and things like that, mm -hmm. uh, or uh, rather, it was the period of exploration to Antarctic, et cetera, that found this out. Um, that uh, there was uh, just a massive poisoning. Uh, 
what you mentioned about the the gas. Uh, could you elaborate on that real quick? Because I that, I find that fascinating the uh, the history. So instead of the the future, aka news, it's sort of the history of humans um, that we poisoned ourselves with leaded gas. Um, oh yeah, well there was a there's. I don't think many people know this, and it's just fascinating that that actually. Yeah, I, what is the name of that? There was like a a, a a place that has great little stories on YouTube that uh, that we were watching for a while that uh, that talked about the whole leaded gas debacle, where where basically a guy who uh, he was trying to do. Was an it today I found out or? Uh, no. no, I don't think so. But basically, there was a guy who was trying to do an experiment, and he just kept getting lead in every one of his experiments. And uh, no it was like where... experiments on like Antarctic ice, or or was it just regular experiments? No, he was just trying to oh, okay. uh, trying to do experiments in a lab, and it just oh, okay. kept getting freaking lead, and it uh, screwing up his experiment. He like just went went out of his mind trying to fix to scrub the the and he just kept getting you know adulterated experiments until finally he you know discovered that you can't get away from it because the lead was being raining down on us everywhere on the planet uh because of leaded gasoline and so it was just a uh and, and that's how we ended up starting to get rid of it because we we began to understand exactly how much that could be screwing us over. Yeah, I guess uh, you're wondering why it says unleaded everywhere yeah. <laughs> on your gas pumps. That's why, because at one point it was leaded, and what that means is with lead in it. And uh, I, I'm sure you've heard about lead in, like, um, now, now the, the word's starting to sound weird. Maybe it was Ted Ed or something. It might <laughs> maybe. Have been like um, so, yeah, you have little um, boxes that you think of science fiction, right? You have little lead boxes they put kryptonite in or something. <laughs> it doesn't affect... Uh, uh, Superman or, or, or some such, but uh, lead actually was in paints and other things as well um, that was um, had to be removed as well because a lot of the artists were going mad um, having been in you know in a lot of contact with with paint. Uh, so um, it's really interesting that uh, the way lead affects um, physiology, well, mercury, mercury the way it affects psychology. Uh, mad uh, is yeah, I thought the effects of lead just mad make you fucking stupid. Um, it's like, I don't think that the, uh, I know, I know that mercury, uh, makes you, uh, madder than a hatter here, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is apparently they used to put mercury in like the brims of hats. So mm -hmm. that's why people, you know, that's why the whole mad hatter thing, you know, is a thing because the hatters were exposed to mercury and it made them fucking mad. Um, but no, if I could remember... Man, it was it was such a good little. I think it was Ted Ed where they do the little like paper cutout animation kind of thing. Wasn't mm. it? Uh, well, that was good. It was a, a good little thing. We wish we could find that. But uh, no, so it was, yeah, apparently, yeah, they, they uh, um, Neanderthals somehow got exposed to lead. So that's a interesting little um, tidbit. That's like well, you know how and theoretically Neanderthals uh, died out and or were killed by humans. And or interbred uh, we, with humans? Yeah, we definitely interbred with them. I, I know uh, specifically. I know uh, several myself. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I know I have Neanderthal blood. So oh, yeah, I, because true. the. Uh, I know several myself. Yes. Uh, the um, it was apparently my, my parents got you know genetic testing and stuff. So and you know a very a large section of North American or I don't know, uh, European people uh, have Neanderthal blood. Uh, and so it was, uh, so yeah, we we definitely. We killed them, and, and we basically outfucked them. Uh, they Neanderthals. Boner. Yeah, Neanderthals because they were larger uh, would have taken. They had much larger brains, also uh, would have taken a lot more um, 
uh, you know, they, they were they're mainly hunters, so you know they had to they had to eat a lot of animal fats, and then they would also. Did they have longer uh, not gestation, but caring for young? Right, their sexual their sexual maturity uh, would have been later, and so uh, because of that, we could produce more Faster. total units. <laughs> more warriors. This is the Starcraft, right. you know. You get more uh, exactly. Marines we zerged that... them basically. Yeah. They had bigger brains. We zerged them. Um, Took longer for them to evolve their warriors. <laughs> right. And uh, but we won't get into the whole. You know, there's also something called the Boskops skull. Not where, on this show, but maybe. But where? But I'll, I'll hint at it that there, there, you, there, there is a collection of skulls where the one of the ways in which we identify the difference between a human brain and a chimpanzee brain, and like one of the major differences, I mean. Um, is the size of the prefrontal cortex, which is the you know executive executive function planning things like that. Um, so as the much things that build civilization theoretically, right? Enable us to build civilization. <laughs> the uh, the amount larger than a chimpanzee uh, brain that a human brain typically is, the Boskops skulls indicate that their prefrontal cortex was that amount larger than human. So, uh, so that's an interesting little thing about that. No, you know, uh, at some point we need to do a. Um, I mean, it is archaeology related, but uh, we, we need to do a, a show on um, the uh, the possibility of an ancient advanced civilization and well, uh, we have how, been, how it could have. We have been um, watching the the Atlantis stuff, so uh, maybe we could piggyback off of this archaeology conversation and for the next cherry stem going yeah. to the. Um, the, what is it the hmm? the desert uh, the saharan desert oh yeah that thing that was neat whatever the fuck it's called yeah that, that is really cool yeah um, and therefore talk about other and i think a lot conspiracy I, theories i think it's very important for people to know that troy used to be thought uh of as a mythical city that didn't exist as well until we that, found it yeah troy was uh <laughs> the same thing as atlantis it was written about uh, by one of the the poets uh the greek poets um one of the eases, Socrates, Aristoteles, some sort of ease. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, he wrote about Troy, and people were like, ah, look at this mythical city. And then they found it. Um, they uncovered it, buried. And so mm -hmm. the idea is, um, you know, if, if they wrote about one city that was real and then it ended up being real, then if they wrote about Atlantis being real, you know, why would that not be real? Yeah, and I, I, uh, I used to, I don't know why, I, was, I don't see Graham Hancock's posts anymore. I used to have him on my, because he just would constantly show all of these, um, you know, another discovery where civilization got, is way older than we thought. Oh, look, another discovery that indicates civilization is way older than we thought. Oh, look, you know, all of our stories about where civilization came from, where it started, um, have been repeatedly proven wrong by archaeological discoveries, especially over the past 15 uh, years or so, where, you know, everything from the Gobekli Tepe, which is one of the most popular ones that people talk about, but there's there's so many more that, that, that kind of uh, show how our ideas of, you know, where the cradle of civilization was and how it started up were just somebody's story that they just, you know, uh, threw together based on really old information. It's kind of like, uh, you know, you, you if you look into the history of what we used to believe about dinosaurs, uh, it's pretty funny, too, how much we just kind of, like, threw things together and put bones together wrong and, and put whole stories together that were, like, just complete bullshit. 
That, uh, that is that is the thing that happened. It became we, orthodoxy. Yeah. yeah, you had uh, one skeleton that ended up uh, being, you know, comprised of like four different dinosaurs that were just, you know, yeah. <laughs> put together. And then I, the more famous one is the brontosaurus that uh, they're, they're thinking. First, they said it's definitely a different, um, um, you know, uh, skull. And it was like the plesiosaur or something like that. And then and then now they're saying, well, no, there was a brontosaurus. There's another more recent thing. I don't know. It's kind of funny. But uh, the point is that there's, there's, you know, you, you, you do have to understand science is done by humans. It's not done by gods. It's not done by some sort of perfect thing. The, the information itself is, is actually, you know, you got you to gotta look at it carefully. And a lot of times we make mistakes and we keep trying to fix them. But we're not perfect, but we're, we're damn good at it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so did you want to go on to yeah. the uh, the pilot wave um, at this point? Was that it? Um, well, there was uh, all um, the ones I thought were pretty interesting. There's uh, there's not a whole a whole lot more that I could, uh, could pull out of my ass here. That's <laughs> okay. So. Um, it's just um, the what we talked about so far was um, a little bit was uh, conversation could not be loaded. What my email is being silly. Um, yeah, the uh, we had the sort of the bit of a physics and a bit of archaeology, and if we wanted to um, go off of here for the next show, we could. Uh, as if uh, we have viewers who listen to the shows uh, one after the other, they will at least have a little bit of a primer about um, archaeology uh, and the alternative interpretations <laughs> of that as well. So that, that's interesting that we actually have uh, the two. Um, pursuits or the two sciences in which we do not um, buy in or, or uphold the conventional explanation of things uh, because there's so much overwhelming evidence to the contrary is uh, physics and archaeology. Yeah, and one of the biggest problems is that... Our past um, and our future, essentially. The, the, the strength of being very a very exact person uh, also gives you the weakness of not being able to pull together larger pictures. Uh, and so you have people who are big picture type of people who also just, you know, are, they, their problem is they're not good at the at making sure the details fit. And so you have the these two major mental types that you kind of need to be able to switch back and forth between. Otherwise, you're, you're really missing out on a huge section of the way that you examine the data. And uh, so people, there's, there's people who either they're looking at the big picture and so they're missing out on how the details prove that the big picture is wrong, or they're looking at the details and they can't put together the way that the larger picture shows that the, those details are, that they're seeing, that they're confused about what those details mean. And, uh, and so that's your, your, your main problems that you run into in any kind of development of knowledge systems. Uh, whenever we're, we're doing science, we, we got, tend, to, tend to run into that a lot. Well, uh, you know, um, I would actually also like to talk about um, AI news at, at some point. But, um, for instance, uh, the sixth biggest uh, extinction is, uh, uh, you know, animal extinction is underway, um, is, is been the latest research. And this was just published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, so PNAS. Penis <laughs> <laughs> on uh, October fifteenth, twenty eighteen. So like super extra, extra recent. And uh, the uh, sort of the blurb here is the um, 
Biodiversity is more than the number of species on Earth. It is also the amount of unique evolutionary history in the tree of life. We find that losses of this phylogenetic diversity are disproportionately large in mammals compared with the number of species that have recently gone extinct. Uh, the loss of phylogenetic diversity can only be restored with time as lineages evolve and create new evolutionary history. Without coordinated conservation, it will likely take millions of years for mammals to naturally recover from the biodiversity losses that are predicted to endure over the next 50 years. However, by prioritizing phylogenetic diversity in conservation, we could potentially save billions of years of unique evolutionary history and the important ecological functions they may represent. So to, to break that down is essentially we are seeing a loss of um, the variety of the minute or small or maybe not so small, but uh, all sorts of varied minor and or major differences between species in mammals. So, uh, you know, you have like the flying squirrels and you have the ground squirrels and you have the, you know, 10,000 squirrels. And we are seeing a loss in the variety of, of that. That's what phylogenetic diversity means, if I'm, you know, understanding that correctly. <laughs> and, uh, and we are seeing uh, essentially the way that evolution happened um, in the unique circumstances that surrounded our development as a species and every species that surrounds us, we all co-developed and that uh, created unique pressures and interactions that caused- Complex dependencies and systems that are dependent upon each other, interdependent. And when you start breaking down- Co-evolution. Right. Yeah. And, that's, and now we're back to what I was just talking about a moment ago, not being able to see the big picture. It's like, well, why do we need all those animals for? Uh, well, you're not understanding exactly how reliant you are upon them. I mean, we could talk and about bees, or we could talk. And also, it is a unique, and that's just not a good enough. You can you can tell a person who doesn't, um, uh, you know, get the big picture very well. It's like, hey, well, but you understand that we're relying upon the bees, and they'll still just focus on, well, that's just the bees. And there's always this, like, you know, they don't understand interdependency very well. Why are you? Well, you're like the the kitty. It's fine. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I got I sparked out for a I second. <laughs> but but yeah, essentially that's sort of the boils down to that. That what you're saying is that you have uh, you know that's just a bees, except it's not because they pollinate things that other things live off of, and things live off of that, and it's a complex chain of interactions and so uh and well, it's not just failing. that Here, here's the thing here is uh, when, it, when it comes to there's a specific mindset that is a forward-looking forward-moving mindset and that is they fail regression analysis and that is okay anytime you ask the question why does this do that then you have to then you end up locked in this going backwards chain and anytime you start to try to look through this chain, it branches immediately to those. Well, why? Because of this, 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 and this. Then you have to say why for every one of those other little things. And so it branches exponentially. And so one of the ways the human brain has, has basically, it's a way to move forward is that you arbitrarily stop your regression analysis at just picking some one one any particular one so you just pick one one reason and say that's the reason even though it's not anywhere representative of reality and then you move forward with the tools that you have and that's useful for a primate and that's useful for a, a you know a, a more simple brain but it's not useful for the rulers of the planet uh when you know now that we are the rulers and managers of the planet uh, not being able to do regression analysis not being able to 
look at it without instantly halting and, and saying, oh, I'm done. Uh, whenever looking at the way that things work together, it's a huge problem. <clears throat> and that's what you'll find that some of the most powerful brains, man, something that spit went down the wrong way. Uh, some of the most powerful brains and the, the, you know, the best way to do things, you can't get lost in analysis paralysis. If you want to make, well, make something go, you want to make something, you know, work, you gotta, you gotta keep moving forward. Uh, you don't, you don't look back, but that's also a good way to just run straight off a cliff because you're not looking back and you're not looking at the and, and trying to figure out where the mistakes were made you're not looking back and and, and uh, analyzing all the little points because and that is a huge process that can end up being fruitless in certain cases you're looking for exceptions because you've been following the rule and so searching out those exceptions and those tiny faults and, and finding all those things that's not our forte as a scientific and when you're talking about people who have scientific minds that is not their forte at all any kind of going backwards Fuck no. We want nothing to do with going backwards. Mm -hmm. We're moving forward, buddy. I'm believing in whatever systems that have been working generally. I ain't worried about the exceptions. I'm dealing with the rule and we're going forward. And that's, and, and you know, even as a programmer, it's like I, I, I ran into that myself. I st started trying to do, you know, regression analysis on every single tool that I was using and it does not work. You will not get a single program written if you, unless you just rely on what was given to you and move forward. That function call, I don't need to know how it addresses the hardware. I don't need to know how it addresses, how it uh, prints pixels to the screen. I don't need to know any of that. I need to make the program that I was assigned to make. And, I, and to do that, I just make the fucking function call and worry about my program. I don't worry about everybody else's program. And the, the, the thing is, my program does occasionally end up failing because of that but i don't worry about those exceptions i worry about the rule and so that's so there's a basic there's a basic mindset of progress that is all about a habit of not doing regression analysis mm -hmm. and so that's why we end up having these people who don't say oh, that's different and they don't see the ways that all of these things are interlocked these interdependent systems are very difficult for them to conceive of and understand well because they are not in a mindset that regularly does this sort of regression analysis which is basically looking at fucking infinity and trying to sort through stuff that basically you have to spend a tremendous amount of time and sometimes almost fruitless time on and so i'm, I'm sure a, some viewers can feel that feel where yeah you know here you, you, you do that uh, and and yeah it totally makes sense that you would have a, a system for cutting that off right and, um, it, and it's a natural system it makes perfect sense as an efficient design for a human brain right however we have entered complexity <laughs> with how we've um, pushed our civilization and where we find ourselves in the current day is it's it requires more nuance than that and uh, and of course it isn't uh, just um, Keystone species that, etc., uh, and, and interlinked species and hierarchies that depend on each other, uh, and interdependent hierarchies that uh, we also depend on. So it, it isn't just our lives that potentially are affected by this, and of course the future generations' lives. Uh, but I find it interesting that essentially this is the link to the um, archaeology uh, news: is that uh, we are um, well, this event this thing <laughs> is erasing our unique history in the sense that we all co-developed on this planet in a specific way that uh, all the push and pull against each other and we, we 
grew up together and like a bunch of trees uh, you know that that are tightly clumped um, they affect each other's growth uh, and access to sun and things like that and so the, it, it is a unique shape it is a unique um, thing shaped by the interactions of mm -hmm. the active participants and so it's almost like a snapshot. It kind of reminds me of our holonomic theory uh, episode somehow, but it's like a like a like a snapshot of of I don't know. Well, us. Here's the here's the best example is where like us as an organism. About, people talk about the um, the butterfly effect and they tell that story about how the butterfly flaps its wing and it does this and it does that and eventually, you know, somebody has a car crash and dies and you know and, and it's all because of a butterfly flapping its wing. But the thing is, it's not just because of the butterfly flapping its wing. It's because of billions of other chains just like that chain we can go through. We like to think about that one chain of event. Matter of fact, I remember there was a, a series called Connections. I think I've brought it, before, brought it up before, perhaps on another broadcast, um, where they go through and say this led to this, led to this, led to this, and there's this linear chain of events that we can put our finger on. But the problem is that there is something more than linear processes. There are processes which are are not linear in the way that they work. They are mutually dependent upon one another, and you can't put them in a hierarchy that fits in that linear chain of events. Each one of them is like a is is like a river, and that is a river is not a river without the water and the riverbed. And it's only the combination of the two that makes the river. Well, there's some phenomena that are a combination. In other words, the phenomena itself, the event itself is a combination of things and cannot be. There is no linear hierarchy where this does that kind of thing. And so having understanding that, that has been a, a kind of a crucial advancement that's been going on over the past, you know, once again, about the past 15 years since the millennium, uh, people understanding complexity in physics, complexity in science itself, having this understanding understanding of how it, this basically a it's not even non-linear it's a it's a concurrency to the way to con concurrency to things that might otherwise be conceived of as hierarchical in other words they're they are not hierarchical they are they're where there are multiple things causing something and so that's that's kind of the uh the difficulty we've been attempting to overcome you know in science itself that's so that's that's what's leading towards advancements in ai that's what's leading towards um, you know, understanding biology better instead of trying to put together these linear chains in the way that biology works. We're starting to understand, you know, effects like emergence and the emergence is this kind of convergence of various simultaneous things creating something else. And it's not, there isn't a linear, you know, chain like that. And so that, that's kind of um, uh, that, that's important to, you know, for moving forward. Yeah, um, and uh, and yeah, it's like not a big deal, obviously. Biodiversity, who cares? But at the same time, it is sort of a you know unique history. No, it's and not. It's our not current... a who cares. It, yeah. It's like uh, all of the various things that that sustain us are all part of a single thing, and so each one of them takes away from the way that we live today in a way that we can't quite understand because uh, it's there's so many different tiny dependencies that are, you know, they're all interlocked with each other. And so losing each one of those uh, species in aggregate, the loss of lots of species become a very large effect that we won't really understand very well for a while because it's too complex. It's just there, it's just like, okay, a good example is um, chaotic determinism. We can only figure out you know how a uh, a system which is 
uh, has complexity in it will unfold using probability. We simply don't have, there's no way because there's too many different things, there's no way to um, predict the outcome even though it's completely deterministic and mechanical. You have to still use probability to, you know, to guess at the way that the outcome will, will happen. Well, the same thing is true when we're trying to think about the number of ways in which all of these different species impact us. They, they, it's too complex. All of the various effects aggregate and add to each other in these ways that are so transformed over time and over their combination between each other that there's no way to for us to predict exactly how massive and in exactly what ways it is impacting us. And then, you know, we only see them kind of after the fact. And sometimes we won't we won't even really recognize them after the fact why this system is falling apart or this system over here because they'll seem completely unrelated when they are factually related. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah, it's hard to follow up <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> follow up on that. So, by the way. So, exactly. <laughs> so, changing the trajectory completely 180 degrees. Uh, well, actually, not not exactly, because we're still talking about, um, I mean, I suppose it's sort of related. Yeah, we're, talk we're talking about chaotic determinism. That's definitely part of pilot way. Yep, yep. And uh, if you were uh, here uh, last time or have caught up on your Cherry Stem 28, you uh, would have gotten a bit of a primer about pilot wave, etc. Um, and the way we um, think of it um, and conceive of it. Um, and you may, uh, if you haven't though, you may already know about pilot wave. Um, if you don't, uh, a quick way to sum it up would be it is essentially a um, theory based on silicon drop experiments by Couday uh, at all. Well, that, it comes from earlier. That's, well, that's m new stuff. Well, sure. Okay. So it, it has a lot of uh, runway, but um, essentially you can find out about it by looking at oil drop experiments that sort of give you an idea of how a um, particle and a wave duality can actually be explained. Um, let, me, let me try to uh, try to uh, sure, help go out ahead. a little bit. Yes, please. So, okay, there's alternative I can do it. interpretations. <laughs> no, I, go I, I understand. I'm just gonna <laughs> give you some help. Sometimes when you when you you know left it with something, you gotta start pulling pieces together when you're not ready. Um, so there are various interpretations of quantum mechanics. Now, it, uh, what you have to understand is, so we have this math that matches our experiments, but we don't necessarily know what that math really means, okay? So how do, how do we get there where we have math disconnected from what the math represents? Um, and, you know, it, it, it happens because sometimes we're just sort of, we're playing with various ideas and, and ones that worked in other ways. And then we take the pieces of math that worked for other things and then apply them in a novel way. And sometimes it ends up matching experiment. And then we don't necessarily understand because of the abstraction layer of what the math is doing. Like for instance, as when I'm going back to the programmer analogy, I'm using math technically anytime I'm programming, but I, if I were to be exposed to just the calculations and the numbers that are being moved around in the computer in a program that I wrote, I would have no fucking clue what I'm looking at. Uh, it's, the, it's because of that, there is this connection between the, the layer at which something is comprehensible and then 
the way that, that the numbers move around in the functions and in the, all of the, the math that's going on make it where there is it's it's can sometimes be difficult to keep your eye on the ball. <clears throat> so pilot wave theory, uh, many worlds uh, interpretation and the Copenhagen interpretation are all competing interpretations of quantum mechanics. But now the math changes very very little if at all and only in ways that are very um I, I, very subtle in other words it's only through like extensions uh if you extend it to this specific domain and do it in this one particular way okay there it will come out differently but the basics for instance the schrodinger equation is probably the best example we could use here um and that is so urban schrodinger uh was he was looking at de Broglie's work with um and who and de Broglie was attempting to use einstein's work for a theory of how light particles and which he called corpuscles uh would work and what he was doing was deciding that waves adding together you know through interference might create these packets of energy and uh and so he tried to use special relativity in a very novel way that today, if you started talking about, you started talking in the way that de Broglie did in his paper on this, it'd be like, no, you're completely misunderstanding relativity theory. You got it all wrong. The way he used it was, would not match most people's idea of how relativity works today. But, so he used that for a way of looking at the way that, that waves interfere. And this was de Broglie. And, and one of the, one of the, interpretations of quantum mechanics pilot wave is also called de Broglie bohm uh, but when he cr created this paper then schrodinger who he he's the one who originated the the wave equation that did, that shows us all of the um places that we would find electrons for instance in a hydrogen atom and all of that which is you know it's the very central the probably the the best most central part of quantum mechanics would be the schrodinger's wave equation mm -hmm. and what he pointed out numerous times is that uh, there's a difference between uh, a shaky or out of focus picture and taking a snapshot shot of clouds and fog banks that's his quote i just quoted him um and uh and so the point is is that your math can represent it's it can be separate from what's real and uh, and specifically when things are very complex we have to use probability to um to grasp something that is that has too many different factors that can alter it the only way you can do it is with probability that's called that's that's called chaotic determinism it can be deterministic completely you know one thing does another but there's too many contributing factors simultaneously for there to be any possibility and especially at the smallest level this occurs there'd be any possibility for us to really predict it now we have this happen at large levels too in, in um weather systems weather systems are chaotically determinate and that is that they, that <clears throat> you can't you can't just predict the way that the weather is going to um you know happen because there's too many factors it's it's literally impossible so all you can do is, is probability now when you look at the math if all you had was the math and you didn't you couldn't really watch the weather happen you might believe that at the very lowest level what's occurring is probabilities 
And that's what, is, that what happens in the Copenhagen interpretation. We started to believe that based on Schrodinger's probabilistic equation, in other words, he determined that there are probabilities that you would find a, a particle in a given location. Um, they then interpreted that to mean that at the very lowest level of reality, it's all probability. In my opinion, that's a complete asinine absurdity because there's no such thing as probability. It's just a mental construct. But that's basically, you know, one of the, the, you know, most core tenets of Copenhagen interpretation. So it's a different interpretation. Then there's the many worlds interpretation. And that is that instead of reality being, you know, this probability at the basic level, what happens is reality just splits into infinite worlds every at time. every millisecond. Every, all these different, so all the different possibilities that Schrodinger equation you know, represents, because that's what it does, it represents all these possible locations for a particle in many worlds, all of them are real. They all end up just fucking happening. Uh, and so that's, uh, you know, that's kind of the, the basis of many worlds. In Pilot Wave, it says, no, both you motherfuckers are wrong. Uh, mm -hmm. It is something really happening there, and it's just the information incoming is so complex that we're just... We're, we're all, we're, it's our tool. We're just using our tool and we're thinking, we're, we think that the tool is reality. We're confusing the two. There's a difference. The tool is not reality. It's just the best way for us to represent reality. Mm -hmm. And that's what Schrodinger was trying to tell people. Is that, and that's what the whole, like, the show, the, when you've heard of Schrodinger's cat, it was him trying to tell people, no, you're fucking stupid. Uh, it, it, if we couple, you know, this probability at the, at the lowest level, and I'll allow us to see that's like, okay, well, that's going to lead to this, which is going to lead to this, which is going to lead to a cat that is both simultaneously dead and alive. And he was trying, and he was literally poking fun at people and telling them they were fucking stupid. Right. It's actually a satire. It's actually a Poe. Like, right. It's... And then, I mean, it's not even that. He was, she was no, trying to, well, he, was, yeah. he was, he was saying, this is fucking absurd. And right, it's right. like, you, he wasn't it, even and, trying to pretend to be no, one of them. He wasn't, it's, it's not, he was it's just, not a Poe, but. And then, and then for years afterwards, they used it as an example of this magical property of reality. They literally used his example of saying, hey, you people are fucking stupid. My equation doesn't mean that. And they took that as... It'd be a, as this ridiculous wow. as saying X. Wow, this X thing is so profound. <laughs> it's so profound, man. From the, from the man Whoa. who created the... <laughs> Whoa, dude. Uh, no. It's like I, my hands can touch <laughs> anything but themselves. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> uh, but, so... So that's what, you know, so so he was trying to point out, is like, there's a difference between, you know, a, a shakier out-of-focus lens and pictures of clouds and fog banks. Um, and and so <laughs> the pilot wave, the, the story here, right. why, why, why we had this, this <laughs> right. Why, why are, are we talking about pilot wave? Pilot wave is also called de Broglie-Bohm theory. And why is it the least talked about? It's the least talked about um, for a number of reasons that just have to do with social mechanics. That's nothing to fucking do with science. It has to do with people, uh, as usual. The biggest problem in science is people. <laughs> and so you'll, you'll find that there are tons of, where people always think, it's like, oh, you have a lack of faith in science. No, it's my lack of faith in people. Uh, <laughs> it's like, how could you believe that this is wrong? You're crazy for believing that this is wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong in the way that you think I'm saying it's wrong. You just don't understand the difference between people's interpretations and you know reality you're, you're you're confusing things here 
So there are multiple interpretations. Well, there's always, if any scientist knows that you have data sets and then you have how you interpret them. Right. There's always two layers of information. Oh, I know. That's what's great about, you know, like there's, there's these various studies. At where the they can, very they can, least, there's two layers. They can reinterpret their data to mean just about anything. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so that's why you have to be able to. So how do you find truth is, a, is a, uh, an important thing. You have to look at it from a lot of different perspectives. You have to see the way that these systems unfold and these systems unfold and these systems unfold and converge them. How do they all interact with each other? And that's how you end up finding whether or not something is more or less truthful, not by the number of people or the or the special hat and robe that they wear or any of those things. It has to be the way. The special that, white lab coat. That's yeah. not. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, I was talking about the other kinds of uh, you know robes and books that they hold and the special pointy hats and oh, it's the same thing. Uh, so wizards. <laughs> Wizards, religious people, oh, one way or another, there's the special class of, of people who hold the true, true, really truth, true, truth. Sometimes they even bind it to their heads. Yes, exactly. Um, they're, they're, they're special. And they're the, you know, how, dare you, how dare you doubt them? Their mommy um, said they're special. I mean, God <laughs> said they're special. Somebody, the institution, Somebody some institution of, said they're special. of authority said that they were special and true. Yes. Um, <laughs> So, so here's the thing. Uh, the reason why that that was, you know, not popular, there are certain things that were difficult that we did not yet, and like chaos theory was not uh, mature until what, like, uh, like the 80s or something? Fuck, I don't know. Uh, it's the, the idea of chaotic determinism, this idea of complexity and, and complex effects, I mean, uh, all of these things are fairly new and they weren't, weren't really around at the time that quantum mechanics was um, really starting to develop. And the truth of the matter is, the math that we use to work with these systems works because math is kind of like you take this part and try to put it with that part, and it's like gears. You put three gears together, they're not going to fucking work at all, period. Okay, you know, it's like you, you, they'll lock together. And the same thing is true with math. As you start to develop, you can sit there and kind of, smash pieces of math together and either they will not either they will work or they will not work and so you can kind of create machines in that way and so math is like a machine that you you can only make it work in certain ways so there's a level of truth to it in other words there is a level of development you could have without understanding what the fuck you were doing you don't you don't have to know you don't have to understand that's why you can shut up and calculate because the calculations if they're right at this one place will end up being right at another and therefore you will be able to predict based on this set of math you'll be able to predict something else and you you can take without understanding what you're doing you can still create um you can still use the tools to create valuable things and it's just like higher level programming languages you don't have to understand anything about the hardware it can be a complete magical set of nonsense to you you can believe in it completely superstitiously as an uh, as a programmer you can be trained how to use the you know a development environment and make programs without having the faintest fucking clue what's going on underneath the surface and so the same thing is true of various systems in science is that you can continue to develop to a certain point. You can still make advancements without, you know, having any understanding of the fundamentals underneath that you're using. And so that's why we can have these these things in science that, you know, you, you make you use the machine of math and math can only keep coming out the same way. It's, you know, even when you change it around a little bit, there's still 
only a certain way that gears will work together and you know without them you know conflicting with each other so in now we're, we talked about all this to talk about this uh, new thing where they came out and said, oh, well, well Pilot Wave. It was literally, as we mentioned in the, in the beginning here, it was literally the day after our broadcast on uh, the fact that they found flaws with multiverse theories and a bunch of other things and how there's model crisis and essentially Pilot Wave can, you know, cure all that. And uh, it was a day or two later. It was within 48 hours, though. It was pretty weird. Yeah, and whenever you start getting into the the belief systems that ha that uh, crop up around Copenhagen, for instance, you know, it really does come down to if they, uh, you know, for the longest time, part of Copenhagen was this kind of a uh, a spiritual aspect to it that that it's our observation that creates a universe. And now today, most people say, no, that's what those kooks tell you. you know, ob observation is is any kind of interaction; it doesn't have to be consciousness. Well, except the problem with that is that that anything then becomes an observer by extension, uh, you know? And so, so everything in the universe ends up collapsed. All the, every, you can't have an uncollapsed wave function because everything ends up being an interaction, which ends up being an observation if it does not require consciousness. So the truth of the matter is, no, you really do need the consciousness causing collapse if you still adhere to Copenhagen interpretation and an actual collapse of the wave function. So that magical, it's 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 baked in. You can't remove it as much as you'd like to. That magic is baked into Copenhagen. Uh, with many worlds, well, uh, there's not a whole lot you can do, you know, to about. I, I can't I can't dis, I can't disprove that there aren't you know that there aren't fairies, and I can't disprove that there aren't you know billions of of worlds being created every second. Hmm. Um, but it's just a it uh, it's one of those things that kind of should be removed by uh, Occam's razor, especially when we have. De Broglie Bohm pilot wave theory as an alternative that completely makes perfect sense in a variety of ways, and we have this macro level version of it, and that's what's important here. Is that it's called the Coude experiments, the Silicon Walker experiments. There's mm -hmm. a, a couple of different names for it. Where basically what we see is these behaviors that were always so weird in quantum mechanics. There's all this weirdness. It's like instantaneous action in the distance, and it's a wave and a particle at the same time, but it's not the way that you think it's a wave and a particle. And Whatever you say, it's always going to be something more magical and mystical than that. All of those things, those come from Copenhagen's dominance. Copenhagen has been a dominant interpretation, but de Broglie-Bohm... So it's a Copenhagen syndrome? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> De Broglie Bohm has been around, uh, you know, since since the beginning, uh, and even here's the thing: one of the, one of my favorite like parts of this whole whole debacle is that the Bell tests. This is something that's called that people constantly talk about Bell inequalities that show that you know that the reality has to be super weird and special magic, um, and Bell himself talks about how. Well, why are people still doing these impossibility proofs? Why, are, you know, how is it that nobody talks about the De Broglie-Bohm uh, interpretation? You know, why wasn't I told about it earlier? And, uh, you know, it, when, when basically all of this indeterminacy is a theoretical choice. And this is what Bell himself says. And he's the one who is, and this is after all of the Bell inequalities, all of that. He understood that it doesn't apply, that it's not necessary. It's a bunch of self-delusion uh, to uphold magical ideas about reality. And a lot of it uh, uh, is actually tied to 
us needing to have the concept of free will. And because everybody fucking hates mm-hmm. and down to the depths of their soul, they scream at the idea of determinism. Even people who believe that God made them the specific way that they are as a know, vessel. Even, even and, when they believe in, in predetermination and stuff And that like God that, will send still, them to hell or to heaven. Well, it's, it's depends got, on what he wants to do. That's written in the Bible, right? He says that, that, even when they believe in predetermination, they still believe in free will. Exactly. They're so... Of course, they're a, a fundamental conflict. Yes. They're, uh, they're that <laughs> unwilling to give in to the right. so, determinism. So, in my opinion, a lot of the problems in physics actually do have to do with people who people. are the humans <laughs> having religious beliefs. And having special, you know, these certain beliefs that that they they instead of instead of allowing their their understanding of God to be based upon you know reality, they instead make their understanding of reality based upon the beliefs given to them uh, beforehand mm-hmm. about God. Um, but I, anyway, I'm not going to get into the religion part of it because I believe that religion is compatible with um, you know this specific theory of physics. Well, there's difference between um, uh, phenomena that are not currently physically explained mm-hmm. and religiosity which yes. is religious behavior right dogmatic di- and dogmatic behavior right. is something completely separate from religion quote unquote also, a capital r religion right exactly yeah. uh and so so i'm not the I'm venn not, diagrams frequently overlap but they're not right. i'm not same. against religion as a matter of fact i believe that there that once we start to understand physics better we'll actually understand uh aspects of spirituality and things like that but we have to give up <laughs> magical beliefs and things like that first and accept what re- whatever reality says it is and you know by really testing it and, and instead of believing magic first off and saying no there's got to be magic there's got to be magic i'm magic inside me i'm magic um you know instead of doing that first let's first you know say okay what is really happening in reality and does it work does it you know. Well, you know, that, that really goes along, uh, that's the same issue, essentially, that uh, I would say it plagues the thing that I'm, you know, uh, involved in. Um, so, like, physics is your thing, and, like, psychology or whatever is my thing, if we're going to crudely divide them like that. And uh, this has fears of most interest and time spent on and in this these fields. And uh, that's the same issue we have with sexuality and psychology, where people um, refuse to look at, you know, what... Look at their, they look at the to, reality of themselves, exactly. and instead, I always want the self delusion first. Right. First, if it doesn't fit my self delusion, fuck whatever that information. is. Self delusion, as in like the, this grand idea of what we are, or right. what we do, or what, and that and, goes and, back to and, our and false that beliefs to, yeah. in physics and archaeology and in everything. It's always the, it's, it's always like, that. And I think the big, it, you, know, you could sum it up in saying that there that a a, a mother feeding its child. Uh, can be seen as a beautiful self-sacrificing love or it can be seen as maximization of genes and a completely selfish action and the truth of the matter is it's both and you can choose to focus on one or the other uh and uh, and i I believe that's that's up to you and i I think it's healthier to, to focus on the more beautiful version of looking at reality but we can't then throw away the uglier you know more real version of reality that's really there as well they're, 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 there's it's still there mm-hmm. you know it's maybe you don't want to focus on that but you know we, we have to accept reality as it comes to us right without continually throwing our you know primitive you know desires and shit like that onto it and so we always have to be that's 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 supposedly what science is is continually trying to throw away 
all the bullshit, primitive, emotional stuff that we try to filter things through and constantly to be looking for those and looking for where are all the pitfalls of, you know, what I want. And one of the ways that, and unfortunately, one of the ways that that becomes self-defeating is that at a certain point, then it's like, well, you're then, you're just wanting things to, to make sense. And the world doesn't have to make sense to you, buddy. It can be all magical and, and chaotic and confused and, and self-conflicting if it wants. Um, okay, then we have to throw away logic itself. So, you know, we either have to, we either have to believe that there is some system in the world. I'm not the center of the universe. The, the universe does actually have rules and doesn't mm -hmm. constantly conflict with itself and be, and basically be a big ball of, you know, conflicting shit. Mm -hmm. Uh, you can, you <laughs> Because if, if it is that, then there's no reason for you to ever care about anything. Just, right. you, you are the it's center just, of the universe. You're it's floating all chaos around. And and... It's all chaos. It's all just, you know, magic. And, and, and it's all just your perception, man. Uh, but if it That's isn't that... That's just like then, your then, opinion, man. Right. Then, then you have to kind of, you know... Postmodernism, uh, the, then the idea that, oh, well, you just don't like it because it's counterintuitive or, you know, uh, that's the same religious argument that God's behind you. And so I'm not buying into, you know, the, the either one of those. Sure. Let's 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 say that there are things that are beyond us currently. But saying that that, you know, reality is completely outside of our grasp and all of that, that's just a self-defeating pile of shit that people use to try to just win the argument whenever they want to have their feels uh and so but all that aside uh, we took a huge <laughs> tangent there that was fun i enjoyed the visit to that tangent that was great <laughs> well let's go back to where we were supposed to be uh, <laughs> so um in pilot wave theory, then you have the, the Walker experiments that show all of the magical weirdness in uh, that we tried to accept mm -hmm. as part of quantum mechanics can be explained in a completely new light. All the things like one of the th one of the things that uh, Feynman says is that it's absolutely impossible for the for for it to be the way that it is. Speaking of the the, the dual slit experiment, mm -hmm. it's it doesn't make sense. In the macro world at all whatsoever there's nothing that could ever make sense about this now we have something that makes sense hmm. and that's what you need to understand is that they didn't have some of the greats from back then they did not have an example like we do now with the pilot with with the kuday walker experiments and it shows the first off the two two slit experiment it shows not but that here's the thing it's not just that and that is what what i'm we're getting to in about this this new story is that there has been a failure to replicate by two different labs. They mm -hmm. have failed to replicate Uday's original experiment specifically with the two slits. And one of those labs uh, is a, a lab who basically, if it were to be replicated, his family name would be besmirched because mm. the, the Copenhagen interpretation is uh, kind of Bohr's baby. Uh, Niels Bohr uh -huh. and one of the labs who failed somehow failed to replicate it uh, is the son of Niels Bohr oh. and uh, and I'm wondering if there might be a connection between these two labs and this new story all coming out all at once together I'm not I'm not saying that they're biased <laughs> and we're not saying that there are coordinated campaigns to uh, either 
silence or censor or in other ways remove mention of upsetting people's or ideas that we've seen recently on the internet. Cough, cough, Twitter, Facebook. Cough, cough. <laughs> but anyway, so, but here's the thing. So the, the, the contention is that, oh, now that the, now it's been fa it's failed to be replicated, that's it. We can throw it away. We don't need to talk about this new pilot wave thing that's been coming and showing that all of our magical beliefs uh, are shit. Your magical beliefs are real mm -hmm. because they failed to replicate this one. Well, first off, there was only a failure to replicate one aspect. Okay, one small fucking aspect of the way in which walkers replicate lots and lots and lots of behaviors of uh, quantum particles. But the thing is, we've got a theory, you know, we've got behaviors that have been fooling people for, what, 70 freaking years now. And we were just, we've just finally got some experiments that replicate all of those various behaviors, including the, du the dual slit experiment. And, uh, and so, of course, it is a very complex set of uh experimental setups that are very difficult and uh and so just failing to replicate them certainly does not and it's failing to replicate one single aspect of it certainly does not uh in any way you know th prove that pilot wave is not a valuable um direction to go it's absurd but it was heralded as like that's it i forget what the name of the article was man i gotta i gotta find the the uh the article here it is here it is famous experiment dooms pilot wave alternative to quantum weirdness quantum magazine <laughs> so, well actually um i also received a notification about this um Thing. So, so here's the thing. I actually reached out to. Hold on, I, I have it too. I have. Um, um, I don't know if you guys experience this, but having a Google phone and Android, they're pushing all of Google's products in your face. And one of the things that they do is they push uh, recent news stories from Google Search, essentially, um, into your phone. So whenever you want to search anything on the internet on an Android, you have to go to an area where they are force-feeding you stories that you can select based on your interests, but still force-feeding you recent news stories. And this just exploded onto my thing with pilot wave theory, which I guess is because I titled a YouTube video that. Uh, that's how they knew. But I got a uh, famous experiment dooms pilot wave alternative to quantum weirdness. Quantum magazine 20 hours ago. Yeah, I, they love it. It was magic. everywhere. They'll never let go of their magic. So never. Both of us independently yeah. got this shoved in our faces. Right. Um, so uh, within so like a few hours. Dooms. Of it's days like, of oh, yeah, here's the, the sub thing. Oh, uh, failed to result. It, failed to reproduce the results of quantum double slit experiment crushing a century-old dream that there exists a single concrete reality. So the fact that that says 20 hours ago, that's our timestamp for how long after our show it was, oh, by well, the way. Interesting. That's because that's when I saw it, uh, after you already uh, brought it up to me, by the yeah. way. So maybe in and less so than it's, 20 it's hours. And I screenshotted it. fucking bullshit. Yeah. I mean, this is like some of the worst of the pop science bullshit. To say it dooms it 
is so fucking ridiculous because they, they it, okay, first they did these experiments and lots of others. And you, if, if you want to go, it's called quantum hydrodynamic analogs or hydrodynamic quantum analogs. I'm not sure what, which one, but John Bush at MIT is the primary experimentalist that, and he's going to have a review paper coming out. I reached out to him and he's, he, he's, the, uh, I, I love talking to scientists who are who are very straight laced because they're always very um, um, how do I say it they, they they put their their words very carefully and very reserved and uh, you know he was like yes many of us in the field were very disappointed with the verbiage used in that article he is very <laughs> written many science papers exactly it's like <laughs> very they're, they're very they're very serious they're not like me no. um, so. <laughs> Uh, and uh, and so it was great because you know right. like reaching out to him about it, you know basically he's gonna fucking destroy this shit uh, come January because he's got a uh, um, a review article coming out. But but you can go to his website and there's just so many different experiments and one of the main ones is just looking at how how the the motion of a walker uh, how it evolves in a cavity shows that same sort of complex behavior and that is what is is at play here just because they didn't get the the dual slit experiment to work exactly the same uh it doesn't mean that first off we've got the Kuday had tons of videos of it working i mean you can watch it fucking happen yeah and uh it, it just because we they, have they, it just because they suck at setting up the experiment doesn't doesn't mean shit is what it means <laughs> it doesn't mean shit uh so so when it comes down to it, basically they're trying to once again because the there's such a pull for defender, but for people who have have taken on a belief system to defend their faith, and so there is the, the and especially whenever it's magical and, and nonsensical, people fucking love magic. They love it. They I mean they as a child, I remember loving magic. But anybody who's who gets into science very deeply becomes fascinated with physics. I'd say ninety-five percent of them wanted to be a fucking wizard. Okay, mm-hmm. that's what it comes down to. You wanted to be a wizard. You wanted to find the magic. That's what it was. But the truth, when, when you start running into the hard truth that there just isn't any goddamn magic, that's that's hard. That's a hard pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. That's very disappointing. Uh, and so I think that basically you have just tons of people who, whenever they find anything that leads to the conclusion that the world's magical they 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 just jump onto it mm-hmm. they they love it they want it really fucking bad and uh, and unfortunately it's like man, how do i provide an alternative for all the people who want magic right you know because <laughs> but don't want religion but, you know oh my god it's it's so frustrating sometimes because here you have a deterministic system that works. It works in theory. It works via math. It works in an example, and it completely annihilates any need for all of this crazy shit. And, and it and it's and it does all the same things. But then you have articles like this. The moment one guy who has very good reason. Okay, there was another lab. It was two labs. I'm I'm, I'm focusing on the fact that it was one. It was the guy. But but come on, one of them was literally it's his father's fucking legacy that this experiment destroys and mm-hmm. somehow he can't re- reproduce the results of one particular aspect of it and we now we've got an article that that uh you know in Quantum magazine that's going to him and talking to him 
uh, about how this I, just absolutely destroys on. Pilot Are Wave, you kidding dooms me? Dooms it. Are you, you know? are you serious? No, I'm not kidding you. It's that bad. That's bad. It's that bad. That is bad, fam. That's uh, no. really bad. It's like, uh, oh, I mean, his grandson, excuse me. Oh, so well. it's, it's But either way, I mean, it's, it's the family fucking legacy that this destroys, basically. And so, and, and somehow... He couldn't get it to work. I don't know how. <laughs> so oh. weird. Uh, so yeah, and uh, and some of their some of their their critiques are just such nonsense. So I mean, let's let's talk about the real critique of it. Okay, let's talk about some real critiques, and that is, okay, it is in two dimensions. So it's bouncing on the, the oh. surface. Mm -hmm. So so when we're talking about this as an analogy to how quantum physics works, part of the problem is that it is two-dimensional. So there are certain things that it does that will not be able to show us a very good picture of how it'll work in three dimensions. So like uh, so the pulsations that happen as a as a walker bounces on top of a surface do create a system that um, that looks three dimensional because it's moving up and down in, in three dimensions. There is there is a lack uh, because most of the of the information is stored in this uh, in the two dimensions. There is a um, there is a there's a difficulty there of translating it between this two dimensional kind of system and a three-dimensional system so there are some differences in the analogy let's go ahead and talk about that 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 is true but we do two-dimensional experiments like for instance in plasma physics looking at two-dimensional plasmas and they're they're the you know vortices and two-dimensional plasmas is extremely useful it is sometimes you do have to figure out the way that that then fits into three-dimensional uh, physics and there are some difficulties there but that does not in any way limit the value and use of the two-dimensional pictures that we develop the analogy is extremely useful you just simply know that there are limitations to the way that it applies but this does not in any way limit the fact that there this two-dimensional system exhibits behaviors that do match quantum physics and give us a way by which we can then take de Broglie-Bohm theory and the and the math that 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 de Broglie-Bohm, which basically okay, so so de Broglie is the one who originally came up with the the wave equations that were the first prototypes for Schrodinger to create the the wave equation of quantum mechanics, and then David Bohm took that and said okay. Well, first off, de Broglie's theory was also looked at by Madelung, who, who was looking at um, uh, casting quantum mechanics in hydrodynamic form initially. Um, and so that is, the, there is a hydrodynamic, meaning that there is a fluid dynamics version of quantum mechanics where you can create, you can, you can use fluid dynamics to represent the particles in quantum mechanics and and so instead of it being particles it actually works based on some much older physics uh that uh, that spawned all of modern physics which is you know hydrodynamics actually is what spawned all of modern physics and i won't get into that but this time this time um but the and so david bohm basically took that and uh and uh, brought it back up and showed how it fit 
in a more modern context for David Bohm. But the thing is that there's still some lack of connection between the mathematics and the physicality of, you know, keeping your eye on the ball. What, do the, what does the math actually tell you that is physically occurring in the system? I mean, we have these ideas that have to do with probability. We have these, the ideas of, of waves adding together. But what does it physically look like is a difficulty whenever, you're, whenever you've used mathematical tools to create something that will have these certain outcomes. Uh, and so there's different ways in which you can apply it as well. And some of the trajectories, for instance, that they that they use whenever they're looking at Bohmian trajectories, some of them are a little too uh, deterministic and they don't have uh, some of the um, instabilities that you have in, uh, in quantum systems. In other words, there's this random noise in, that's kind of in the background of the, uh, the, you know, the quantum vacuum. Uh, and so, you know, you have to be able to, to uh, put some of that into the way that these um, uh, trajectories play out. And so there's all these different little subtleties that once we have the, um, the, 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 these Walker experiments, we then have a, an analogy that then clarifies and that's what the Walker experiments, that's why they're so important, is it clarifies, it allows us to keep our eye on the ball and clarifies what it is that's occurring and how it is that it's occurring. And so, so there have, have been developments by some, uh, some authors at Cambridge, who was a knot theorist and a, uh, who worked with uh, some of the other physicists there uh, to develop uh, something that's called like a sonon, is the, uh, his, his uh, uh, theory of the way that particles work. But Here's the thing that a lot of people don't get, and that is whenever we talk about particles and particle physics, it's a point particle, which means it has no dimensions. It is, it's literally a point in space. It doesn't have the, you know, it's one dimensional, not two dimensional, not three dimensional, it's one dimensional. And so a lot of times when they're talking about particles, you know, uh, you, it, people think of that in like everyday terms. And so whenever they think about particle physics, they think about like real, you know, physical things. Mm -hmm. But in fact, they're point particles Hello? a lot of the time. And so they don't, you know, they don't even have a physicality to them that it, it, it's abstractions. There mm -hmm. are all these tools that are abstractions okay. and and understanding that a particle could actually be representative of well, p different aspects of the particle and the particle itself could actually be representative of fluid motions like vortexes and things like that being able to understand that that translation mm -hmm. is very difficult i've noticed for people which is why i try to bring up phonons all the fucking time right. i constantly bring them back up all the time because it's important to retell this story right. and that is a phonon is a quantum mechanical treatment of mechanical waves so there's no such thing as physically extant phonons they don't exist in reality but we can count them, we can use their behaviors, and we can use quantum mechanics to predict the way that these packets of wave energy in a crystalline lattice will move around, and it is useful. It's actually useful in laser physics, for instance. Mm. And, and, but what it is, is it, 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 there's no such thing as a phonon, but we can use it as a tool, and our mathematics, we need to be able to, to treat certain things it's like, how would you figure out how many uh, gallons, how much, how much uh, chlorine you want to put in your pool if you didn't think of how many gallons of water there was? But there's no such thing as a fucking gallon. It doesn't doesn't really exist. You can't, right. you know, you can hold a gallon jug, 
but it's still it's a measurement it's kind right. of arbitrary now it just so happens that our measurement um the amount of a particle is tied to something and so that's why they seem more real that the the particles themselves they're not continuous like you know that's why we don't think of them as continuous and a lot of these particles and then we also you can confuse massive particles from energetic particles it's like you, you whenever you're thinking of there's quantum too many particles man well, this is, this that's is the weird thing about quantum too is that they have gluons muons luons puons underons peons <laughs> plebeons it's what what why what is why because they what create is a particle for each new behavior whenever you okay so if you think of it from the perspective that i'm giving which is so de Broglie bohm uh, the the pilot wave theory then also implies all the other things that i was saying about ether that in other words everything that we're we're doing and the, the, and the reason why einstein talked about an ether is because once you start to you know understand that there's all of this then the, you're basically you're dealing with these abstractions mm. that are behaviors of this primary substance or what people call the quantum vacuum or you know there's a lot of different names for it but it's all the same thing so whenever you're trying to come up whenever you see these behaviors and you've been describing them as particles and whenever you see a new behavior you give it a new name as a new particle because the particle is an abstraction for behaviors and for sets of behaviors mm -hmm. and for combinations of behaviors and that's what a phonon is, is it's a set and combination of behaviors that have to do with real transition points. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by this, now this is important, is understanding this. And I'm going to, uh, like, if, if you want to take something that is kind of arbitrary, like whenever I talk about gallons, it's like, oh, it's just arbitrary. It doesn't have real effects, like a, like a, you know, a photon has a real specific effect of a specific size. It relates to the Planck scale and all of that sort of thing. It's like, so that's why it's, that's why the gallons analogy doesn't work. Mm, yeah, I get you. Because here's the thing. The, um, the particles in particle physics are related to specific behaviors, but they are related to transitions. In other words, they're changes from, a, from, from something to something. Like, if you think about, uh, one, one of the examples I like to give is if you think of like these um, um, moai, the, you know, mm -hmm. from Easter Island, those big, tall statues. Uh, say a half-submerged one in the, uh, in the ocean. As the waves come up, let's say the waves are just not quite uh, enough to knock one over. Mm -hmm. They're just not high enough. But if they were to get higher, they'd knock them over. Anybody can see that in their head. Yeah. Um, let's say I set up a whole line of them. They're all side by side. The ocean waves come up, smash against them, may, may tip just a little bit. They don't fall over. The wave gets bounced back. So there is a point at which just the, the wave height has to be just enough that it'll knock all of them over, right? If they're all in a line. Instead of having them in a line, let's, let's line them up in a weird way that makes kind of a funnel shape. Now what will happen is waves that are very low, low amplitude, will come in and get funneled to all the way to that back one at the very point. And so the wave height will grow and grow and grow and grow. So that means that dependent on the shape of my Moai statues, I have half submerged in this water, I could make it so that 
if I knew the, the, the amplitude of the waves coming in, I could make a, a funnel kind of shape of, of all of my statues that I've got placed out there to where the wave would be just enough energy to knock over one single moai. And I could, so that would be a transition that would be a specific amount that was related to an effect. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what we do in quantum mechanics is we, we create particles that are related to transitions. Oh, that's why there's so many. Oh, that makes yes, so Yes, they have to sense. do with transitions from one state to another. So one of the ways that I, uh, I, I also kind of jokingly talk about it is, is you know how there's moles? uh as a like, as a measurement like one mole of of uh let's say a um if i were to there is a let's let's say there's a certain amount of energy that is required heat energy that bet, between the frozen state and the boiling state of a um <laughs> of of one mole of water and uh and we'll call it a shrew <laughs> so now can it be a gopher <laughs> i don't know i don't know gopher's a little bit big i, I, I like moles and shrews they're very similar uh so one shrew one shrew of uh of energy will it be tamed or so i could sit there and add a certain number of shrews to a pool based on the number of moles <laughs> <laughs> of water. That looks like and, a fuzzy cuddle puddle. Sorry. And at a very specific point, a certain number of uh, of shrews added will cause it to freeze or cause it to boil. And it, so it'll make it look like shrews are an intrinsic part of reality. Because they, when I add a certain number of them, it changes. It does this change? Shrews they, they, change reality. Yes, they have magical they powers. Have, they have to, the ability to impact so reality, so they're real. It's kind of like real Kage, unit. It's kind of like Kagebushin Jinsu when you have like so many shrews together, they perform a, like a mantra dance. And if it was like five <laughs> shrews, it freezes. If it's ten shrews, it goes. <laughs> it boils. It boils. Yeah. Uh, so no, it's the, the, so they're shaman shrews. So the point is, you can tie a, a an arbitrary unit to a very specific transition and then that will make you think that it has some sort of physical existence. It kind of reminds me of determinism that flies come from meat thing. And that's what happens with phonons is that there are that there's a certain amount of energy that's either going to it, it's either going to bounce back in one way or transfer across a border that has to do with the crystalline lattice and it, whether it bounces back or continues forward that transition um, is is an important part of the way the dynamics of the waves are going to occur in that crystalline solid, and that's why phonons ha are a very useful abstraction, but they don't exist. So there's no reason why photons and a lot of the other particles may be just like phonons there's no reason why they, they couldn't be that uh so but the thing is then we have to talk about the difference between massive and energetic particles and it's a whole lot of other things that that describing how these things would work in a fluid medium is a very big and long subject that has that goes back to very old physics but the thing is the way that physics has unfolded with fluid dynamics with knot theory with a variety of different things that that came from our older theories 
there is a way we can take all of the advances that we have today and through if we simply understand that that constancy is an illusion in uh, in special relativity and then we understand that all this other magical shit like so for the constancy by the way that's completely magical a lot of people don't understand the constancy of light is completely a magical idea and does not fucking work and that's why einstein abandoned it by 1912 there's what's one of the reasons why but the point is constancy does just does not work there's no reason to be continually defending the idea of light speed constancy even einstein no longer defended it before general but, relativity you know, and after general relativity. i wonder if that has something to do with you know the whole wizard thing you want you were talking about earlier is that you know a lot of these uh, scientists um, were nerd kids first, exactly. and they wanted Star Trek and and Star Wars and light having light constancy is a magical, spacey, futuristic. Whoa, man! Yeah, mind it's, bending. It's what thing, gives so. you all the magical shit in physics. Right. It's the uh, if you so take that's it why away, they might hang all the magic it. goes the fuck away, and then it becomes boring and. And mundane, and mundane, and, yeah. and, yeah, and it difficult. Does. And that's the thing. And it's, difficult. And you don't, and you don't get the magic. <laughs> but all of it works, and it all works the same. And it's just a removal of a concept. Mm. It's not a removal of anything else. That's the point: is that the math still fucking stays the same. Yeah. And you just get rid of the fucking magic, and suddenly there's more information available. And then, so, and we can suddenly start to we can advance in a variety of ways. Once you remove and, all this magical bullshit. And that's why it's not boring and they need to realize that, that you could actually exactly. craft your own And complexity, hey, complexity is close enough to magic. And I think that's where, where they're going to get their magical rocks off in, in the near future. Is emergence, complexity, that shit is practically fucking magic because it's so goddamn complex. And understanding the way, it, and the way that it comes together, it's like, uh, like, for instance, talking about holograms. Holograms are so counterintuitive. The way that they work is fucking cool as shit. They're practically fucking magic. And understanding there's a whole other level of stuff where we can get our, our, you know, wow, that feels like really cool and magical. Like, we can get that as long as we throw away our current magical belief system. Right. And that way we could uh, actually craft our own sci-fi future. Because, you know, uh, 2016, where the hoverboard's at? Well, if, uh, you know, if you like Where the hoverboard's at? People still believe in constancy. Exactly. Still, so you let go of that. In spooky and... action at a distance. That's where they are. They're, they're they're not there because of that. We would under we would be we would be manipulating the quantum vacuum. We would be we would have ether based technologies. We would be able to understand how to get zero point energy. We would understand all those damn things because we'd be do working on them because we know that ether is real. Just like Einstein said, just like so many other people have said that are Nobel prize winners, but nobody is, it's because they're hanging onto the goddamn magic. Mm -hmm. And, or being kept from actual cutting edge research because <laughs> I don't know. that's a national I'm going to do the ne never attribute to malice thing, but I, I know I'm, I, I'm actually... <laughs> Speaking of never attributing to malice, uh, so uh, I want to cap off the show with uh, going back to the, the news thing. I, I didn't um, find this earlier, my bad, uh, but this goes back to the... Uh, we're talking about Moon and SpaceX and things like that, so on one hand we have Elon Musk, and on the other hand we have Jeff Bezos. The uh, Amazon uh, and uh, now Whole Foods um, CEO person. Well, Amazon owns Whole Foods, but he is Amazon CEO um, or owner or whatever the fuck. So apparently, this uh, article from Motherboard that uh, Jeff Bezos's pet airspace exploration project is planning to send several metric tons, quote unquote, 
of unspecified cargo to the moon in the next five years. But that's not <laughs> suspicious sounding at all. No, he's been talking about um, creating moon bases yeah. and stuff. Actually, I've been very impressed by, by Bezos' um, um, focus on... Like, like reading some of the shit that he's had to say and stuff like that, it's one of those things where he seems like he is focused on the long-term survival of mankind uh, in a certain That's way. Nice. And the fact, well, the fact that he just, he like, he just uh, pledged to like, all of his, uh, his workers are going to get $15 an hour. So all of that, all of that kind of shit, he, it seems like he, he may be working towards goals that he thinks are uh, very important. And sometimes that, you know, uh, if that's really what he's doing, then that's one of those things where it's like that's the the people who have vast amounts of humans, of humanity's resources. If they are taking responsibility to use those in a way that will benefit mankind, then then that is, in my opinion, what makes them worthy. Not it, it certainly isn't. Oh, he came up with a fucking website and, and it was shit out in the in the in the right fucking place, the right fucking time. That that that's meaningless. The but when they're actually taking responsibility for the stewardship of mankind's energy well, that they that, that has been funneled in their direction by circumstance then then they are deserving of it mm-hmm. and so it's like uh, i've uh, just recently been reading up on, on bezos and i've been pretty fucking impressed so if you'd like to follow the the development of that yourselves uh, you could uh, do it on twitter actually add blue origin and uh it uh is um his company which um described by bezos as quote the most important work i'm doing um end quote um uh, so the blue origin signed a letter of intent with german aerospace companies ohb space systems and security and mt aerospace at the 69th annual uh, international astronautical congress uh in germany and this was just on tuesday so this just happened um on ohb um the um they dubbed the lunar project the blue moon mission um in the press release because you know blue origin is his company and uh, blue origin like the little blue dot mm-hmm. uh, blue origin indeed um it's not clearly exactly what cargo the blue moon mission would transport but it likely includes infrastructure designed to start private businesses on the moon the iac also installed the launch uh, uh launch of the moon race a uh, competition between Blue Origin, Airbus Air, Airbus Air and Space, and other agencies around the world to develop technology that will bring companies around the world to the moon. And um, that's a thing that happened. So, um, according to the press release, the competition could involve manufacturing products and technology, manufacturing energy sources for humans to survive, uh, getting access to water and sustainable biological life, such as plant or agricultural life, all on the moon and um i would like to add that this paragraph right here is exactly what we need to be funneling money towards because this could be the conditions on earth and in your future that we will need uh a competition we, we need a competition uh to uh manufacture products and technology and energy sources for humans to survive and get access to water and sustainable biological life that <laughs> just plant and agriculture in the next 50 years this may be a necessity not for the moon but for earth is this supposed to be on nope oh okay <laughs> it's only doing the sound so i i i saw your concerned look but oh fuck not again no this the, I've, I've learned from my mistakes and i've had a, a live dashboard going 
that gives me, you know, all okay, the, yeah. the information that I need. <laughs> but yeah, we, uh, sorry guys, we're, we're still getting through some PTSD. Well, not, not we, him. A <laughs> <laughs> master's getting through some PTSD still because I um, launched a stream of our quantum physics pilot wave um, explanation, holography actually explanation, the uh, Cherry Stem 27, the one before the um, quantum physics multiverse one. And all of these are available on patreon.com slash Anna Cherry or youtube.com slash Anna Cherry and uh, um, the Cherry Stem podcast. Um, so um, we filmed, or broadcast rather, for about an hour and 15 minutes or so before I realized that we were not broadcasting at all anywhere. And uh, it was somewhat traumatic, shall we say. It's basically the broadcast, the, the broadcaster was going, but somehow the stream was not, was not going to YouTube. connecting to, to you, YouTube. Right. Yeah. yeah it, the stream started, and then after the intro music, it cut off, and then I restarted it, and it was streaming to somewhere. <coughs> to outer space. And so all I ended up having on the channel was eight minutes of intro music. <laughs> so, it's okay. It was a great dry run, man. It, it was. was I learned so that, much. It's so good. We yeah. Did, like, we did it. We re- it's true. We really did it. We had a practice run on that one. And it was necessary, apparently, because, uh, you know, uh, you can only spontaneously talk about the most important complex physics you know concept uh so much <laughs> it was uh specifically the um holonomic uh, brain theory i believe and uh the title of that stream uh podcast uh episode is the spiritual interpretation or sorry the, phys- the neoclassical physics interpretation of spirituality so it is a way essentially as we hinted at earlier uh to use physics to interpret phenomena that have previously been reserved um, to the realm of the spiritual or the religious or the, uh, you know, um, paranormal. However, there are ways of adapting this uh, theory, which essentially would be a unifying theory of everything, uh, which science has been saying, physics has been saying it's it's been needing it um, for a long time. So, well, not for a long time, but very actively for, because um, a long time in physics, that could be like, you know, what, what are we talking, 20 years, <laughs> 80 years? No, this, this has been, you know, five to 15 years, especially in the past five years. There's been a lot of talk on the need for uh, a unified theory of physics and, you know, essentially a theory of everything uh, that connects things because we have uh, dis- disparities, disparateness. Disparities. Disparities. Uh, well, I mean, the, the idea the... of a unified field theory that was uh, from uh, like Einstein's time. That was something that, and now these days people are like, ah, oh, you never do it. It's a, it's a, it's a fool's errand kind of thing. It's like, no, not at all. It's, well, uh, there's a call for a revolution, and uh, the call for, yeah. yes, there's definitely been a call for a revolution given all of the different crises that are disparity. That are... Yeah, model, they call it a model crisis, which is what I was referring to in in saying that there are disparities between. Um, different findings or rather theories so we say that we have the quantum theory and then we have the you know the the general relativity special relativity and we have all sorts of other things in quantum um theoretical physics such as you know string and multiverse and what who knows what else uh and uh, all of it uh doesn't quite paint the same picture there there are disparities 
between. I was just reading. <laughs> uh, there, there are disparities between um, what the models show reality to be, and it's like, well, how do you? Which one's the right one? How do you, and and if you know this model is right for its corner of the universe, and this model is quote unquote right or explains the findings of its corner universe, but then the models don't mesh together. Like, what do you do? You know, it shouldn't there doesn't it make sense for if we truly do understand it all for it to have one theory that explains everything, um, you know, and connects to you know connects all the things, uh, you know. But of course, that could come down to a difference of opinion between uh, is reality truly deterministic or do things just I don't know, spontaneously happen and have no connection between each other? But you know, we 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 know enough about other complex systems such as. Uh, the way the neurochemistry works, the way biology works, the way evolution works, uh, that, you know, everything is interconnected. Yeah, it's one of the things I haven't pointed out before is the idea of uh, the, there being a causal... Um, Hierarchy? Uh, yeah, well, okay, so there's there's something called a strange loop by Douglas Hofstetter where, the, uh, where it's difficult to determine what is the cause because one seems to cause the other. Uh, and, uh, and I believe that the... Um, the I believe solution, it is called I Am a Strange Loop. No, no, it's the uh, I Am a Strange Loop is, is the name of a book. Right. But it's the Strange Loop is a concept he introduces uh, in the uh, in GEB. I see. Yeah. Um, so the um, uh, I think the answer to the whole question of free will and things of that uh, nature will will actually come down to um, understanding the uh, all of reality as like components to a giant consciousness hmm. um that and so therefore um just like you don't make decisions about each one of your cellular processes your cells mm -hmm. make those decisions that there are um aspects of um uh, reality okay well like for instance well you know hunger and things like that sort of change your behavior as a uh you know as a human you, you think of yourself as in control of your body but your body is, is very often in control of you and so mm -hmm. uh, i think that uh when you when, we're, when we start to try to want the idea of free will that we're kind of um missing the interplay between the highest levels and the lowest levels and that we on a, a lower level of um the universe actually play a role in the decision-making process so that free will isn't, uh, I mean, it's obvious when you look around you how much shit is impacting your behavior, limiting your the scope of your, the possibilities of what you could really decide to do. And when you start mm -hmm. to understand the brain is a machine, uh, then the, the idea of free will seems to become absurd. But I think that actually the it's just the, the problem is thinking of yourself as a separate entity from the rest of the universe and not understanding that tangled hierarchy between uh you know how decision making processes work and uh, this is, is this is very difficult to explain in any terms other than, than uh, the way that holography i mean holography right. understanding holography really is that's the only way i could say that is the very best way to understand extremely complex uh aspects of reality but um and you can try to to do that along with us in uh cherry's time uh 27 where we uh went over Holography. Cool. How well did I go over it? I can't remember. I thought it was really great. Okay, good. But I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I did also have a, a primer of uh, <laughs> the failed broadcast. <laughs> so I listened to it twice. Uh, so uh, I listened to it twice, guys. That I will, I will recommend.
downloading well, I mean, it. Oh, I did give the give the link for that okay. uh, little because that that's a helpful. I love that little um, CIA. Article? No, no, no. There was a there was an article that just uh, how stuff works. Oh yes. Uh, um, I thought that was a very good little um, description of the way that holograms work. Um, I mean, you have to understand more about wave mechanics and interferometry and shit like that, unfortunately, uh, to really grasp it. But um, I, which that really is unfortunate. But it's still it's it is a very I, once you start to really grok. Um, <laughs> Uh, wave mechanics in combination with holography, uh, it gives a viewpoint that is just absolutely unique and really, it's an interpret, it's a, a lens of interpretation about all of the various strange and difficult questions of reality that it gives, makes them make much more sense. And, and the best way I could say that's, that holography is completely counterintuitive is that you got a hologram of a star and you cut it in half you got two stars. What the fuck else in reality does that? I, I still don't yeah. understand. Yeah, that. exactly. That and that's what I'm saying. And understanding that that really fucking works. <sighs> yeah, I, I mean, for the longest time, I was like, what? No. How? <laughs> no. What? Yeah, I had to <laughs> no. look. At, I mean, I've I, I've looked into. I mean, okay. Keep in mind, I understand interferometry better than than. Like a tremendous. You wrote a, a book on it. Well, not really, but yeah. close enough. You know. Yeah. No. When 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 there was no the fringe, a definition yeah. for fringe shift, I was the only, uh, I, I was the only place when you googled fringe. This was fringe like fifteen shift, years ago. Fifteen years ago, my answer was the only answer on the entire fucking internet. Um, but <laughs> the uh, uh, fifteen twenty years. Uh, fringe shift. I wonder if fringe shift still it probably still links to that old shitty ass article. Uh, <laughs> God, that art article is so old and shitty looking. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, so, so, I mean, it took me years to really understand, um, but even after that, like, coming back to it again, it's still, it's like, it, it's just so fucking, it is a, such a unique perspective, and it is such a unique way of doing things. The way that a hologram works is just, uh, obviously, I can't say enough about it. <laughs> uh, you guys have to, uh, check it out for yourselves, and, um, yeah, there's an article. There's an article um, on how stuff works, as well as a uh, declassified CIA document that has uh, some some interesting, um, you know, explanation of it as well. And uh, you could try to find some YouTube videos about it um, because it's it's certainly the forefront of science currently. All the anyone who's anyone in in um, current events mover shakers science wise like even even elon musk etc we talk about um you know um, you know are we living in a hologram and things like that so there there are relations to the all of this uh with where we're going with ai and other things it's sort of a convergent point oh yeah definitely is. of a lot of um fields so it's it's sort of at the at the crux of it and you know you heard it here first that um it is the future mm-hmm. of science. And that'll be the end for us <laughs> of the uh, broadcast. Uh, of course, if you uh, would uh, like to join us for an after show chat and uh, ask questions, um, discuss anything you heard uh, or uh, bring up uh, news um, or something that you know you have heard elsewhere um, yourself to us, uh, feel free to join Patreon.com slash Anna Cherry. Support this podcast. Um, 
and I would recommend the challenger mode. That's the one that unlocks the after show video hangouts. And it's a good time. Um, some lewdness uh, definitely expected. So uh, <laughs> um, check that out if you would like to help us out, make more of these. And if you enjoyed this um, broadcast or you found something interesting uh, or anything at all that uh, came to mind, feel free to comment down below. I We'd always love read. to hear from you. We, I always read the comments. I do. Um, they pop up on my phone. One of the benefits of not having a fuck ton of subscribers and not constantly uploading videos is <laughs> <laughs> I can actually uh, manage to read the comments. And... Um, Definitely give it a thumbs up to this video if you learned something new. Uh, subscribe to the channel so you can keep up with our Cherry Stem broadcasts. We do these podcasts, live streams uh, quite frequently now. And we will see you tomorrow. No, we will see you next time on uh, Cherry Stem, which should theoretically be next weekend. Uh, check out the description in the low bar for our uh, Patreons and other ways which you can show your support and be awesome and amazing and get cool rewards and help us make more of these shows. Of course, none of that is required. We will continue to make our edutainment, education and entertainment. <laughs> we will continue to make these shows uh, as long as you keep uh, watching them and listening to them. So uh, please subscribe, give it a thumbs up to this video, and we will see you in the next one.